Hello and welcome. This time, Mimsy Farmer doesn't know what's real and what's imaginary. And to be honest, Dave Thomas, that's me, and John Deere aren't going to be a lot of help in Francesco Barilli's 1974 head fuck, The Perfume of the Lady in Black, aka Il Profumo della Signora in Nero. Please join us for episode 8 of Due Signori in Giallo. In every corner of Africa, a certain fear rides the hot winds. A fear which has many names. Black magic, witchcraft, superstition. In our country, there are still certain cults which conduct human sacrifices. The victims are unaware that they have been chosen for these mysterious purposes, but when the time comes, they are either killed or driven mad by means of potions and secret rites. In this episode, John and I touch on childhood trauma, mental illness, rape, racial stereotyping, gaslighting and suicide. So today's episode is The Perfume of the Lady in Black by, is it Francesco Borelli? Francesco Borelli, Borelli. Yes. Now, We haven't come across him before, have we? No. Um, nor will we again. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, but really, he, he's a hard guy to find a lot of information about because he made very few movies. Um, he So his family is an artistic family. So he was born in, I think, Palmer. And his family were sort of artists, um, you know, the, the traditional painting artists, um, as, as was he and is he because uh, I believe he's still around. Um, uh, but he kind of got into acting and writing. Um, he he was he acted in uh, Bertolucci's first film. So, you know, he was kind of moving in, in somewhat rarefied circles. Um, he, he wrote a, some interesting films. So he wrote uh, a movie called Who Saw Her Die, which um, I have on the list for later on because... Um, oh, is I, that the Venice one? That's, yes, that is yes, the, uh, the one that, that has uh, some interesting similarities to um, Don't Look Now. So I and kinda... an interesting lead actor. Uh, yes, uh, the, that... the great the great George Lazenby. That James Bond, yeah. Who that... that <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So you know, so he he and, and he's kind of said that you know the the thriller horror type subject was was kind of where he felt at home. Um, he he got a, apparently he got a Super 8 camera when he was 15, and he started making films about serial killers. So um, you know he's uh, he's he's definitely someone who feels like he fits into uh, fits into the world. He actually wanted to direct Who Saw Her Die, but it ended up with uh, Aldo Lado, which um, you know not not that that's a bad thing because Aldo Lado is a is a terrific director. Um, so so he ended up directing this, I think. Uh, Really, you know, sort of, it was kind of a pet project of his. Because um, I'm not sure anyone else really <laughs> would have been quite able to to uh, to to unpick it. Um, he and then he, subsequently, he didn't really direct very much. I think you know, he he was someone he he kind of said that he didn't really like producers and producers didn't really like him. Um, so he did another kind of Jallo-ish film in the later in the 70s called. Pensioni Pora, which I think translates to 
is it like silk and fear or something um which is not very easy to get hold of the only dvd i think is available is it doesn't have any english options so that might be one i have to try and um fan sub in some way um because i would like to see it on the basis of this uh yeah he yeah and he's done some interesting shorts and things over over the years uh, I think carried on kind of painting and things. I, I did like there's a, a fascinating interview with him on one of the Blu-rays of this, where he talks about one of the reasons why he he kind of stepped away from film was because you know producers want things which are nice, um, and he said uh, an, an idiot is nice, furniture is nice, a film should be forceful. <laughs> I thought it was a quite a great way of looking at it. There is quite a lot of Italian cinema, as we're discovering, that isn't necessarily nice, though, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. This podcast, uh, yeah, for yeah. example, is hopefully a testament to that. So is it a case that he didn't necessarily just... Um, I, well, maybe it's more, there's more to it than that, but it just doesn't... Producers I, wanting nice, perhaps he means, I don't know, safe, or mm. he wants to push boundaries. I mean, pushing boundaries of, geez, well, if, this, if this film isn't, I mean, this film is, is to, pushing to, to, quote, to quote Terry Pratchett, and this is actually not the only time in this discussion that I will re- mention Terry Pratchett, probably. Um, so uh, from the uh, from Good Omens, aka the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which... Um, but the meaning of nice is the old meaning, meaning scrupulously exact. And I suspect Mm. um, if you're trying to say, what is the exact plot, for example, of The Perfume of the Lady in Black, that would be an interesting pitch meeting um, to try and pin that one down. Uh, Funnily enough, apparently he, he originally got the idea from... Uh, he he was in Geneva and he overheard some like rich Swiss bankers, um, and he said so. It's a plot about some Swiss bankers who are also cannibals, and he he took that idea to Eurofilm, oh, which was the company he had to deal with to make the movie, um, which was run by a Swiss banker. So they were less than enthused, uh, and so he went away and rewrote it. Um, and he he said he was kind of specifically inspired by things like Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. Uh, and that kind of satanic panic theme that was running through a lot of horror cinema in like the sixties and seventies, um, and and they were then prepared. I don't know if necessarily happy, but prepared to to put up the money for the for the movie. That's interesting because throughout the sort of wider movement of, uh, of horror, as we go into later sixties, early seventies. Um, and you could sort of look at Hammer's sort of classics as an outlier from the, the Hammer Gothic horrors, anyway, or did probably the Gothic horrors as, as an outlier from from this. But we do tend to get a lot more of the in the home horror, don't we? Mm. We do mm. tend to if there's internal uh, internal horror, Rosemary's Baby, rather than a Gothic castle. Um, yeah. Back going back to Mr. James saying, you know, he always wants fear to strike within within familiar circumstances. You know, I think I still think there's something far more frightening about the Enfield poltergeist mm. happening in, you know, essentially a council house in in Enfield. Mm. Um, it's it's ordinary. It's every day. Yeah, I mean, even something like uh, when we talked about all the colours of the dark. I mean, that that kind of has its cake and eats it because it does mm. have like a, a gothic satanic mansion and a nice apartment where weird things happen. Um, but it is kind of you know the 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 conflict stems from 
within the home um, and then kind of branches out into a nice gothic pile. It does. And like um, All the Colours of the Dark, Perfume of the Lady in Black has a um, a friendly neighbour to our main female protagonist who introduces her to... um, Okay, it's not quite it's not quite the kitten the puppy stabbing black magic of, of all the colors, <laughs> but introduces her to sort of um, more sort of like uh, you know, seance powers and stuff like that as well mm. that ultimately don't have a particularly a particularly good effect. Mm. Um, when I first watched first watched this film, and I've seen it I've seen it twice now. Um, again, I questioned how much of a typical giallo is this because there is no stalking stabber. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly uh, uh, in, there's certainly engendered violence. There's problematic mm-hmm. relationships. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a, there's a protracted rape sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout it all, the horror is fundamentally psychological. It's someone going through trauma, and you never quite know whether they're experiencing true trauma or if this is internalised hallucinations, which is sort of fundamental to the plot. How Mm. common is the psychological fear in a a giallo? Uh, It turns up periodically... Uh, it's not that common. I mean, you, you said how you know how typical is this of the Jallo? Um, it's atypical enough that some people don't consider it one, right? Yeah, uh, including you know a few uh, writers on the subject um, shy away from this one. And another film um, that that's kind of very similar in terms of it has a um, at the heart of it a, a potentially cult-like conspiracy uh and also is is somewhat atypical um is short night of the glass dolls which is another one that i hope we do at some point because it's another terrific movie uh but again is uh there are there are jello purists who would not include it um so i mean with this one i think it is but mostly because it looks like one yeah Um, it, it has the strong it has a strong palette in it. Yes. it the grading is a particular use of blue, I notice. Mm. I think it's the boyfriend's bedroom mm. has a blue and the her neighbour is paint is who's has a fetish for hippopotami. Yes. Uh, is painting a hippopotamus blue. I don't not a real one, uh, like a model. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, it's not quite that weird. Yeah, so it, it has yeah, it has a very strong visual style mm. uh, that's recognisable in the channel, which I assume, and you know, it's I mean, it's 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 problematic and murdery. Uh, there's this, so you know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's it's set within. Um, that kind of jello milieu of the the kind of buildings in which the characters live, um, and and the you know, uh, so Mimsy Farmer's character, so Mimsy Farmer playing the uh, the lead in this, uh, is playing a character called Sylvia Hatcherman, who I think is not meant to be Italian, or at least she's half Italian or something like that. So, um, you know, I, I mean, you know, she doesn't look Italian, put it that way. Um, and so you know, it's a, there's a little bit of that outsider within um, within the city, um, which you know comes up time and time again. What is uh, Mimsy? Sorry, what's what's Mimsy Farmer's backstory? Because where she, where does she come from in Italian Italian cinema? So she was uh, an American actress who had done uh, a lot of TV and some films in the states. I think her first film was. Um, 
was it Gidget Goes Hawaiian? And yeah, sort of went to Italy, I think. Looking at her IMDb page, seems like maybe there's a bit of a tailing off at the end of the 60s in some in the kind of TV stuff that she was doing. So uh, as with a lot of actors, she ends up in Europe making films. Um, and one of her earliest ones, not the first one, but one of her earliest ones is, is Dario Argento's uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, which is kind of the third of his trio of, of Jally that starts with Bird with Crystal Plumage, as we've discussed, and then uh, Cat of Nine Tails. And that kind of established the sort of character that she tends to play, certainly in the, the handful of Jally that she did, um, where she's quite fragile and going nuts <laughs> because that is a theme that goes through you know the, the the three things that are that she did that you would sort of class as as classic jelly if you include this one which obviously i do um are four flies on gray velvet this film and then a slightly later and and somewhat trashier though still pretty fun um amanda crispino film called autopsy where again she's sort of she's playing a uh um forensic pathologist who starts seeing things that aren't there and then possibly there are also some murders this kind of character is is sort of her um sweet spot um whether or not she kind of enjoyed <laughs> playing playing that that particular sweet spot but she certainly did it um a few times uh, Barilli described her as um deadish blonde and faint which he felt was good for the character deadish yes <laughs> What does that mean? What's as an adjective? That's deadish. Yeah. Uh. There's a certain. There is something. There's a tension that I think you get in in this and the other films that she did, based on her physicality. Because in this, uh, probably less so in Autopsy, but actually, yeah, I say it's true in that as well. She, there's a certain kind of androgyny about Mimsy Farmer that is very different from, say, if this was Barbara Boucher or Edwige Fenech, okay. where um, there's something different going on just from her particular look and her kind of characterization. And I think there is something a little bit kind of, um, I don't know, maybe he meant like icy or... Um, you know, kind of reserved. I mean, the, in in autopsy, it's it's really really specific that she's like frigid, um, like other characters point it out, which is one of the you know problematic elements of that film. Well, um, she's, I mean, I mean, visually, she's she's blonde and pale, which stands yes. her stands her apart in Italy uh, as, uh, mm. from 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 her colleagues there as well. Um, Absolutely, and she's a very different type of character to even someone like Edward Fenwick in uh, Edward Fenwick sorry in uh, in all the color in all the colors of the dark and mm. you see uh, that she has she has you know as it seems in all in in, in all shallow uh, they have a nice hat there she has a nice apartment in a beautiful corner of a beautiful corner of a square Yes, um, yes. In an has, old manse that has kind of vast labyrinthine rooms and like two or three residents yeah indeed but it's again not not dissimilar to the to the in the in structure, in not in terms of pure pure visuals, uh, mm. to you know, things to within the shallow, like 
all the colors of the dark and, and wider mm. sense in the community of like rosemary's baby yeah uh, very much so. this, as you said this the satanic panic thing and, and the visuals of the staircase in particular are used repeatedly repeatedly throughout throughout this film to to, to good and disor- disorientating effect but you yes. also see her very unfeminine job she's like um She's a, a senior chemi- chemist, not as in a, as not in as in a, not in a, in a pharmacy. She works mm. in a, a chemical with some authority in a chemical laboratory. Yeah, um, she's immediately shown to have strong agency, mm. and yet throughout with, it all, oh, the, on, the, the film will the film will then spend ninety minutes kind of stripping that agency away, pretty much. Not least of which, indeed it will, yeah, not least of which by seemingly all the relationships she has, like her boyfriend, Roberto, you know, I mean, he's a prick, um, yep. but in that sort of, oh, you're spending all that time with that, with, 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 in that, in that laboratory. What, you mean my job? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's an extremely common uh, Jallo trope, actually. In fact, I think I think that even happens in autopsy as well. Does it? Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. there's, there's something, something patronising and dangerously potentially going off towards xenophobia to say, you know, yes. it's like, um, uh, an Italian man can't 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 handle this, and you know, what does that say how he was prepared with the relationship with his, with his mother? And I mm. will come back to that because um, uh, parental relationships are fundamental to this uh, to, to, to 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 this film. But it does seem quite limited if you can't handle your partner having a career. Yes, uh, but he doesn't. Anyway, but he's introduced uh, before the sequence where he says, "See you around" in that slightly immature way that you do when you're like, uh, "You're not getting your own way," and yes. uh, and you and you well, I'll do something else instead to annoy you, which yeah. is massively immature. Before that, we have a sequence where he goes to meet. Oh, sorry, she goes to meet uh, her boyfriend Roberto and some of his friends uh, or his family uh, at their what appears to be their home. It looks like they're sitting in a in a shallow swimming pool with no water on it. Uh, again, it's, it's, they're surrounded by basically potted plants and yep. lots lots of um, sort of mosaic tiles that they're sitting on. But there's um, and we see something we haven't seen very much before. We see um, a black family, mm. not really seen much in in Italy. And no. his the uh, the gentleman's name, the character's name, is given as Andy. Which yes. is neither particularly African because they are shown to be to be um, from Africa. They mm-hmm. don't specify the country. Mm-hmm. Hey, you don't need to. It's 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 fine, <laughs> um, but but not particularly Italian either. And I wonder no. if they if they're meant to be if they're meant to be sort of Afro British. Um, yeah, I, it, it's not really specified, is it? Because no, but he's called um, but he's called Andy. Andy's wife kind of dresses in, I, I guess, the costume designer's uh, sense of kind of a full African traditional dress with like a headdress and everything. Yeah, um, it, it, lo- it looks sort of how you would imagine if you weren't, without sort of wanting to do right, you, you do sort of an arbitrary research into how Nigerians dress. Yes, very much that kind of thing. That, yeah. And, and it, yeah, I, th- I think the suggestion is that they are. Um, also, you know, that, like that's the part of the world that they're from, particularly because there, there's some dialogue as we um, discuss um, something which may be important to the plot, uh, cannibalistic voodoo rituals. Um, yeah. no, nothing problematic there. No, um, they, they, they do quite go quickly to, to the role of the witch doctor in, in Africa, which is, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, but um, I mean... 
they may, if we're being generous, making the point that you think this is a a, a, a backward thing that the dark mm. heart, heart of Africa still still practices. And Andy's point is, this shit's actually taking place on your doorstep as well. Don't be so patronising. But mm. it's not done in a particularly subtle way. Yeah. Yes, quite. Um, yeah, but, th- but there is kind of an allusion to, oh, you know, I've seen it happen. So I kind of inferred from that that they had come to Italy from uh, <laughs> the, the somewhere in Africa that, you know, Africans come from in Jallo films. Um, and that, I think there's even a scene later on. So she's, she, uh, Mimsy Farmer's character spots uh, Andy in a car that looks almost like a sort of um, diplomatic limo um as if oh, yeah, he's kind yeah, of going yeah. you know sort of there in in some sort of official capacity um although i mean it's very fleeting so so maybe not but um yeah i think you know there is just some um that they, they are from elsewhere and you know maybe they're up to no good yes and it's Wink. not long yeah so we, not long after that we have a, a sequence where they're playing tennis uh, mm. and it's um Sylvia, her neighbour Elizabeth, the boyfriend, and and, and Andy, and she uh, grazes her hand on a nail that's sticking out. I mean, so, as far as I'm aware, nails aren't really used on the handles of tennis rackets, <laughs> but never uh, <laughs> cuts her hand on a nail that's sticking out of the tennis racket. Is that meant to be the beginning of her hallucinatory hallucinatory journey? Have we had hallucinations by this point? Um, I think it might be. I don't think there's anything specific. Prior to to that, although she certainly seems kind of unsettled post the um, voodoo the conversation, cannibal conversation. The, the conversation, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so no, but yeah, I think that might be the the kind of starting point of the. Oh, that's what I think. Yes, after the voodoo cannibal conversation, she basically comes in, goes to bed, and then wakes up, and it's three in the afternoon the next day, and she's missed work, but mm. has smashed a, a photo of her and her family. Yes. Uh, so it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's something isn't right. But after mm. the sequence where she hurts her hand on the, the nail that somehow seems to be in the tennis racket, um, she begins to have hallucinations. That mm. I think they start in her boyfriend's bedroom. Don't they? There's lots of use of mirrors with her. Yes. I mean, yeah, perce- so she, perception she, and reflections. And we see, um, oh, we see a woman in in black sitting mm. in the mirror. Uh, of um, sitting in the chair, we see her via the mirror of her, in her boyfriend's bedroom, uh, putting on perfume, and we later learn that woman is Sylvia's mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, as we go through the film, there's this is where I mean, this is why I questioned about the psycholo- the, 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 the psychology aspect. We learn that her father was uh, a ship's captain. I think he's mm-hmm. meant to be a uh, commercial rather than military, but. Mm. he's away a lot her mother starts seeing somebody else uh she at some point in her childhood walks in on her mother and there's somebody else and he's either raping her or he's just being sexually violent it's, mm. it's another she is traumatized by this now i took it initially that um she killed him, but I assume it's because we later meet this character, although basically we don't know what's real and what's not, so it's tricky. Um, 
but the upshot is of this discovery is that later on, her mo- shortly after her mother dies, mm-hmm. uh, it's implied that either Sylvia, as a child, literally killed her, or caused, or, or the, the 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 stepfather figure left and uh she she died the mother died the, the, the mother died by suicide the upshot mm. is the mother falls from the balcony of their home mm. which sylvia still lives in and dies from the fall mm. um and the rest of the film is basically an increase in uh the the hallucinations as things start to happen and think you know she sees a she sees a vase that in a shop that she remembers being in the room when she had the trauma it's mm. later not in the shop and everyone denies it then mm. it's anonymously posted to her house the mm. flowers she puts in the vase dies she she encounters uh a prepubescent girl who can't possibly be there mm. uh, but is and it's implied that's her in her childhood haunting her now mm. there's a strong element that she reads uh lewis carroll's um alice through the looking glass and there's not the, the dream sequence or the dream style of that becomes becomes patent. and although it's one of the very few scenes where mimity farmer isn't in it and mimity farmer really really does carry this this film mm. we see uh, her boyfriend on the phone to her lie that he has to get about where he is mm. and then traveling with andy and we haven't met him yet but the caretaker of the apartment that Sylvia lives in, we mm. see them going to what looks like a disused uh, lockup in, an, in, mm. in, in, in the arches. But you walk in and the, it's the entrance to some sort of labyrinthian tunnel that they mm. they disappear into and that then comes back as a, as a place for the climax of the film. Mm. Um, it's certainly effective in um it's it's mystery and there's plenty more to, to go on to particularly when the the neighbor uh sorry we haven't even mentioned her sorry her her more friend seemingly quite friendly uh widow, widower neighbor who's in hippopotamus but there becomes a sense that you don't know what's real and what's just hallucination but mm. i'm but given from what you've told me about you don't count uh the supernatural as part as a legitimate part of the jello and that you do include this are we left to the conclusion or certainly the conclusion that everything that you see up until including uh, sylvia killing her neighbor and her and her and her, her lover is this just taking place in her head some of it must be simply because uh, the climax of the film i think pretty much every character that we've been introduced to at some point is there and part of this con- the strange conspiracy uh if indeed that is real i mean w- when i kind of sent you the list of films that i want to do i think i put kind of little headings on you know kind of alluding to why including them and i think on this one i put what the fuck is happening um yeah. because it is the- <laughs> it is that kind of film that has um joe dante i saw describe it recently as kind of hi- hypnotic fascination um where you know the the film is compelling even though at the end of it i'm not sure i'm any the wiser in fact she's probably more confused than when i started and kind of one of those films that no matter how much you pick at it you're never really going to you know have like you know the arthur c clark explanation for the end of 2001 okay that kind of makes sense now yeah i don't think that I don't think this film has the has a version of that where it's like, was it a dream? Uh, might have been. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's uh, yes, because I mean we see all the characters that have apparently died at the end, 
and mm. we're showing that there's there has been this big conspiracy for whatever reason um and it ends with uh, a naked dead sylvia on a slab in those labyrinthian tunnels we we saw several characters going into earlier in the film and mm. they cut her open and devour her innards yes um no explanation it's a comedy it's it, yeah as this, this is some sort of ritual or sacrifice, uh, but that needed her to have a total psychological breakdown throughout mm. the film rather than just murder her, like she needed to die by suicide. And her yep. own death is shown when she struggles with the the child who as discovered, can't really be there and who seems to be a personification or a projection of her own younger self when she first yep. had to deal with her mother's death. Mm. And that she, in the struggle, she falls, she falls to her death. Not like in, and not it's it's a it's a shorter distance than it is in when we looked at um, Don't Torture a Duckling. So there aren't um, repeated shots of Mimsy Farmer's face being scraped against things as she as she as she falls down. It's shown in as tasteful a way this, that yeah. suicide is shown. Well, I know. Also, um, I assume you know, Barilli wanted to remain her remain aesthetically pleasing for the bit right before they eat her when she's just like naked on a slab, which in its own way is is equally problematic. But um, but yeah, kind of a, a different. Uh, he has a different because you know, you would say if she fell from a height high enough to cause her death, then she's probably not going to look completely fine, and you know very no, attractive in the way that um that mimsy farmer is so that's slightly arch already the fact that she's you know completely unblemished um un- until they eat her yeah <laughs> which see isn't if it is if it is a metaphor it isn't it isn't a subtle one but i think i'm learning mm. now we don't deal with subtlety in, in this genre but her Not character through so much <laughs> Her character throughout is, um, it's interesting you brought up the fact that she looks somewhat androgynous in mm. many ways for it. And there's, um, and you talked about how it's in another, in a similar character she plays that's commenting on her, her sexual, on, sorry, her, the fact that she's seen as frigid by another mm. another character in that show to be, to be negative. Because even mm. the, the, I mean, this, quite apart from the, the rape scene with her stepfather, mm. I mean, versus of her, not her, not, not not her mother. And the earlier sexy sex scene with um, with her boyfriend doesn't look hundred percent consensual. It's mm. uh, it's he's very much on top and in the driving in the driving seat, and she's sort of um, being a bit passive rather than what I understand is called enthusiastic consent. Mm. Um, so there seems to be something that. Um, in in Jello, women often is the, one of the criticisms I see that it, it, it getting is um, women are getting what they deserve in some in 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 some way and being and being promiscuous or being other or being and that's not a, just as as a, as a Jello film. You watch it, yes, mm. you watch uh, plenty of seventies TV series where you know the moment a woman is shown to you know have an outing of independent thought or trait that. Society is very keen on her showing her being murdered, with mm. the barely disguised subtext that it's just it's it's better for society if women know their place, not least yep. as which for women as well. Mm. But 
I, she doesn't seem to be a particularly uh, sexualized character in that same way. That's uh, that's what I took from your comment about uh, there's there's uh, th- there's an, there's an androgyny about her mm. um, that she's not tra- she's not sort of transgressing anything that that, that that the patriarchy would have her would 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 have her do, and the fact that this is a psychological destruction of her rather than say just being stabbed mm. seems to be then we're going somewhere we're going somewhere different and saying something different about about a woman with severe abandonment abandonment daddy issues mm. um rather than uh, uh you know a, a traumatized killer is is murdering women and we are reveling in in in, the, in, in its depictions mm. yeah i i entirely agree i mean the the particularly this film um even in the way that she's kind of costumed there's, there's an awful lot of kind of beige trouser suits and and uh you know clothing that seems to be playing up even more that slightly androgynous aspect so that when later in the film when she does appear to have a complete psychotic break and she starts dressing like her mother she's basically in the same black dress with the sort of very classic i'm not sure entirely when not how long ago that's meant to be i'm getting probably 1950s i assume if if we take um the the year the film came out as the setting of the film um but yeah that's sort of very classic makeup and and jewelry and hairstyle um so i mean potentially it's more to highlight the shift from her as uh you know in her in her right mind if you want to put it that way to she's had a complete break and now is sort of both kind of embodying the character of her mother and kind of completely infantilized um because she also has this aspect of her personality which is her as a child who's kind of horrible it has to be said like her, her her kind of haunting by herself as a child is uh yeah i mean singularly quite unpleasant in you know one of the more mm. unpleasant characters in this film which has a lot of unpleasant characters so uh yeah noteworthy that it's kind of alluding to the idea that you know if she wasn't as you said directly responsible for the death of her mother um potentially her um personality and presumably the reaction to the unresolved reaction to the death of her dad um is is driving her to act out or you know it's just purely just you know scary ghost child you know um mm. <laughs> you but know, that, that's why that could I, be going on no no indeed but that's why i i, I got it because you clearly if you count this as a giallo and i know you don't one of the things the giallo is it fantastico um, Giallo Fantastico, where it's Fantastico, kind of yes. has supernatural elements, yeah, yeah. Which, are, but this is—I don't think—but we're not. I don't think we're meant to think this is just a ghost child. That's sort of no, like no. I, I yeah. you know, it's um, really the 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 tension and and the not confusion because I, I think it's very deliberate, um, but the ambiguity is around really just how much is in Sylvia's head and is it like some of it all of it yes clearly because by the end of the film she is dead so there really was a voodoo cannibal conspiracy but everything as you said everything leading up to that possibly well I guess from the conversation possibly from the tennis racket like how much of it is in her head or not and I guess the, the conclusion you're kind of I'm slightly reluctantly drawn to is that it all must have been because there are so many sort of really striking and and fabulous sequences 
where after she snaps, she actually kind of goes on a killing spree. Um, Yes, I mean, she I mean, she kills uh, the neighbor next door who seemingly shows her kindness when she's frustrated mm. with her boyfriend and although we're worried about him being a bit creepy he tells her he looks at her like a daughter and i'm mm. inclined to believe at face value you're not meant to think anything more of it than, than that mm. but she, you know she she kills him with a meat cleaver her boyfriend mm. comes around and she she hacks him to death in the back with a meat cleaver and we're all quite pleased about that because he really is a prick <laughs> he had a yeah um she kills now Leading on from what I said earlier, it's unsure uh, in um, in the, the flashback sequence with with her mother whether or not you're meant to think that she killed her stepfather then. Mm. But in any case, she in trying to get is if I got this right in trying to get her neighbor's dead cat stuffed as a present. Yes, she she runs into her stepfather. Yes, who, who, and she's who works accident- as an embalming. Who works as an embalming, yeah. Studio. And she accidentally and puts down her old address mm. where she used to live, and then her with her stepfather. Yeah, where and she then, then goes. Where she then goes, her stepfather follows and then rapes her, but mm. she smashes him over the head with some stone, leaves him for dead. But when she brings her her boyfriend back to say, "I'm not going mad," he's 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 not there. Mm. Um. So, because we're now we're not making sense. After she's killed her boyfriend, who I think is the third of those apparent apparent deaths, mm. she's um, she's recovered her uh, um, her stepdad's dead body. Presumably, we're not quite sure how she got it from the from the house. Mm. Uh, whether she dragged it, she, I'm not sure she has use of a, a car at that time. But yeah, it's, it's, he's quite a big bloke compared to her. Mm. But nevertheless, we have the dead bodies of her boyfriend, the stepdad, and the neighbour that she arranges around the table uh, like a like a Mad Hatter's tea party. And again, there's the there's a recurring theme of. Um, her reading Lewis Carroll and feeling like she's she's Alice through the Looking Glass, um, mm. because it's a, and it's a glass table, so there's a lot of fun with direct with shooting from up through the table as the characters. Oh, um, such a lovely shot that have to sustain certain images of pressing their faces against uh, against, <laughs> against, against 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 glass, but it works. It it, it doesn't. It could be it could be a bit silly, uh, but it doesn't. Mm. It works. It it work, it work, it work, works really well, and you're meant to think at that point. I assume the um, the constant psychological torture has happened, and she's just gone mad and mm. started killing every man she was in any way close to, either in a in, in a negative sense, mm. um, as the ultimate expression of rage from the trauma that she had of losing her father, who uh, it, we're told is drowned yep. before the before the film begins, and that she has this slightly infantile nature, uh, infantile relationship and abusive relationships with other people. Her neighbour is like meant to be a father figure. There's the stepfather who replaced her father with tragic consequences and mm. the boyfriend that she's slightly enthralled to and belittles her and uh, mm. cheapens stuff as well. Uh, so initially, so just to take them, that's, that's her carrying out the ultimate expression of the frustration that she's feeling because of the, mm. the, the abandonment issues. Mm. But then when she fights with the, with, with the child that seems to be the, the personification of herself as a child, falls to her death, and then all those people are still alive, mm. um, and then eat her. And part uh, of the conspiracy. And part of the conspiracy. You're just left wondering why, and that's never, <laughs> and that's that's that, that's never explained. And, the end. Hard cut. Yeah, and it's 
in some, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a gripping film. It's beautifully, it's beautifully shot, and it goes. And the more you look at it, the more I was inclined to think this isn't as misogynistic as I as I thought, and it's actually something a lot more interesting if you're working through trauma. Mm. But it's frustrating in the end that like you, it's it leaves you a bit cold because you don't quite know mm. uh, what's meant to have been true or ultimately why. And sometimes not knowing why is a can be a if if it's substantively a supernatural story, then you're limited as to the why. You know, you accept a ghost as a as a as, as or a supernatural being mm. as an existence in the universe. If that's what you're to do, but that's justified by its own internal logic. Mm. But here, you know, if we accept that it isn't, if we accept that all these are manifestations of 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 Sylvia's trauma. Then what was the ultimate goal? This was just someone they needed because if if this is just a sacrifice and they found their next victim, whoever these people are that wish to engage in this conspiracy, it's a hell of a lot of work <laughs> yeah, to get her exactly. from the point of pricking her hand, if that's where it starts, on a, on a tennis racket, to her throwing herself off a, off off the roof. That's taken a while, and bloody hell, aren't there easier ways of doing this? Because presumably, you know, you had to find someone who was psychologically traumatised in the first place. Uh, otherwise, this probably wouldn't have happened in in the same in the, the, in the same way that it did. And it's all those things. Oh, the fact that I've said she has agency uh, because you see her job and you see uh, you know a life outside of just the immediate the the immediate relationships she she has with men. But the fact is that she's quite passive within the plot whatever she does uh she's constantly subjected to these to the to the psychological trauma that she has and nothing the no action that she performs uh makes any material difference to the to the outcome which is which is which is her falling falling to her death and that ultimately um leaves me a little a, a, a little frustrated if that makes sense yeah definitely i mean uh, is is there something to the fact that no matter what she does and what agency that she has and the fact that she's not being bound by strictures of 70s Italy and has not only a job but seemingly a quite important and, and senior position and all of those things, the fact that it's ultimately futile and she is consumed by men, is is there a wider point there perhaps? Or is that just me being a dick? No, no, I think that is. I mean, she's, she's, there are women within that society as well. She's consumed by society, which is inherently mm. pa- inherently patriarchal. Um, but I just find that having um, having gone somewhere different with this, um, and it's you know, it's 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 easy to look at this as just you know m- m- uh, more giallo misogyny. But yet, it's you're looking at it through the bell of someone who's working through trauma but has never really been supported in that and these are the potentially tragic consequences that other people that other other people are exploiting um i want it to be something i did i i i wanted there to be some resolution that where she where she had um agency of either stopping this or contributing to something in ways in many mm. ways it's saying that the damage that she's already done the damage and she's doomed to death from mm. the moment that she 
that she caused her mother to die when she when, when she was a child, and all these things that are happening to her are ultimately her own fault. That's sort of a, a reading that makes me a little <laughs> makes me makes me a little uncomfortable. But as you say, maybe yeah. maybe that's the maybe that's the meant to be the point we're meant to we're we're we're, we're meant to we're meant, we're meant to take away. Mm. Yes, even if there was some inkling some inkling that by her dying it set some events in motion that uh brought down the cult or yeah that would be that would that would be something yeah but but there is yeah there's there is literally no i mean for for one of those you know the police are useless there there, i don't think there are any police in this even when her um her friend uh who is also her neighbor is is found uh murdered um which happens kind of part way through and then is sort of uh, it seems that perhaps she is also a victim of the cult, but then is she there at the end? I can't remember. I think, I she's think she also is one of the. I th- no, I think she is there. Conspirators. The yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> seen as as is as is the woman say in the in the in the the art shop, which like mm. like there's a real there's a real effort going on here that was, it's the it's the absolute um, nightmare fantasy of anyone who suffers from sort of delusional paranoia. What mm. if it's all true, and to yep. the level that they would have to go through where you're. Which is the usual way that you would dismiss uh, um, a conspiracy theorist that it just there isn't that level of organisation anywhere mm. where this is a world where there is down to the woman who has the shop with the vase strategically placed so she will notice it and then later denies her knowledge of the vase then presumably sends her the vase, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but none of it. But like that wouldn't happen just simply because it's just it's too much effort for the outcome of killing this one person. But if you're if you suffer from anxiety and you have that sort of um, in the opposite way of, 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 of you might have sort of self-importance, you center, mm. you, you, yeah, you centerize the anxiety on it's, it's all about you, but in the worst possible way, rather mm. than, rather than in, 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 in more obviously narcissistic uh, uh, sense, but there isn't, because there isn't just the effort, it isn't worth the effort needed to take you out. No. Um, but here it is. It's what if all my paranoid fantasies came came true and actually and actually happened. And whether or not this is happening to, to, to me doesn't matter. If I perceive it's happening to me, mm. then, then, the, then, the, then the damage is done. And after that, after I'm dead, it still goes on. And that's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate paranoid nightmare made 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 real. Now that doesn't make sense, but nor does um, uh, you know so, so so much of you know mental illness. Mm. Um, but what if it were true? And I wanted there to just be um, some form of uh, redemption, even if mm. it was if it was post mortem. Uh, but there isn't, and that's a shame. But I I I found it a lot more interesting than I thought I would on on first viewing. Mm. I mean that of course begs the question is is the final scene after her um quote unquote death also part of her delusion so you know could everything be after you know she has a conversation with someone who talks about voodoo cannibalistic rituals and that feeds into her existing paranoia and mental illness and subsequently everything uh after that is is all part of her delusion now of course there's no way of of really picking that apart because as i said you know cannibals eat mimsy farmer hard cut end but you know potentially another <laughs> another another version of uh of the possible outcomes of the film yeah i mean you'd probably have to question whose perspective is that from if it's mm. from the perspective of the corpse True. i 
Sylvia's Sylvia's dead body, uh, mm. but it is the ultimate expression that the the uh, the the conspiracy is true. It, they were all out to get her, and so if it's true, and in this in this reality, whether it's a delusion or not, it makes it true. Mm. Then that, that why does that delusion need to stop just because she's dead? Now, here's mm. here's what they do with her corpse. Mm. Um, so yeah, it might. It makes a sense as anything else, as, yeah. as, as, as anything else. But yeah, I was. It was one of those films where I initially went for this is a bit too much of a head fuck, and it's. And I still have problem. I have. Yeah, I have problems with the ending because it took me a bit too much out of the, the drama. But if I think if you view it through the uh, through the lens of um, someone who's someone who's undergone deep, deep mental trauma and has mm. never ever dealt with it properly and is surrounded by people who aren't particularly interested in helping them then you can you can find an appreciation in this that you might not in other shallow mm. yeah yes because it's the, the unresolved trauma is very much in in focus right from the beginning because I, I think there's even it, there's even the scene where she visits her mother's grave and like right at the beginning and becomes kind of physically ill just by the, the virtue of being in proximity to it so yeah also know, that's the, really that's really helpful because there's a like like often the the uh, the culture in Italy there's a photo of her on on, on the headstone which mm. is really helpful for when you see the woman in black for the first time and you realize mm. oh it's a mum yeah um and then later on she she smashes the the image of her mother on the headstone and there are insects behind it uh, mm. suggesting something is corrupt and rotten um, mm. Uh, and presumably they're just there because it's warm and they've and it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a warm enclave and they've just made a nest in there. Uh, yes, but yeah, indeed. It, ha- it has that it has that it has that stench of corruption. Yeah, yeah. It's de- it, it's a it's a fascinating film, like you said. I don't know if it's entirely satisfying, but it's one that um, I, I think does bear viewing and and repeat viewing i did almost because I, I watched it again in preparation for this but that was mm. a couple of weeks ago and i almost watched it again last night and then i didn't because i thought yeah it's not going to help yeah i watched it um i watched it about three or four days ago uh because i had i'd seen it once but i couldn't really remember the ending and it was like oh yeah That's why. <laughs> about halfway through yeah that didn't that didn't stick in my head yeah oh god uh but i but um because i'm doing it for this and need to try and sound clever I was looking at. I was just looking for things that I had seen uh, in the context of the other shallows mm. that we've seen. So I was more aware of the sort of visual style, um, but also aware of the very different narrative structure and, di- and, mm. di- and, you know, and different devices used to convey the horror. Well, in- interesting trivia point because I feel mm-hmm. like we're kind of approaching the uh, approaching the point at which there's not much more we can say. <laughs> Seriously, um, it's a head fuck. Seriously, it's just weird. God, what's happening? Oh my, yeah, uh, yeah. If you've got daddy um, issues, get them sorted ASAP. Yes, yes. Sorry, trips. Tri- tri- absolutely. Um, yeah, I just wanted to point out. So the, there's a scene in which they go to a uh, medium uh, who basically yeah. is also part of this conspiracy because, of course, she is. Um, and describes in detail played... her father's death, which really helps. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <yes. laughs> absolutely. Um, but the medium is played by uh, Nikki Arrighi, who uh, was in The Devil Rides Out. Uh, oh, okay. So, so yeah, uh, sort of a brief a brief moment, and also popped up in in a variety of other films. She's in The Devils as none uncredited. Um, oh yeah, I recognise her in that. Yeah, 
Uh, and, I, I, I don't, by the way. That's just, yeah, that's just, and also as Gypsy Girl in Countess Dracula. Um, that's actually I've one of her last films. Oh, really? Uh, did, she, yeah. did she die quite young or did she? Uh, no, I think she just kind of retired. I mean, where do you go from the perfume of the lady in black? So I've also noticed she's in an episode of The Prisoner where she plays a character credited as Gypsy Girl. Hmm. Which is, yeah. Clearly, clearly uh, whether she's theme, yeah. Oh, and she's in. Uh, she's in one of the most impressive episodes of Out of the Unknown. Uh, the mach- the machine stops. Yeah, and she was means that she was reunited uh, with Michael Gothard in um, in the Devils. So there you go. It's all connected. Mm. It's all. It is indeed all connected. So if if uh, the Devil Ride come Devil Rides Out comes up in your next game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, then you now have a connection to. Uh, Mimsy Farmer, and thus probably everyone in Jallo. Mm. Well, I'm approaching a time where I'm probably going to do Life Force in Bergcast, so that will connect oh, me to Michael, nice. Goth- to Michael Gothard as as as, as well. Uh, I might do one day do a Michael Gothard cast, uh, as he's <laughs> he is a very interesting he is a very interesting character. Oh gosh, you'll have to do Scream and Scream again. Uh, oh God, yes, I'll have to do Scream and Scream again. That is that is one of them. That is one of the most podcast cancelled. Oh yeah, Jesus, that is that's something else. Screen, screen. <laughs> I've watched it and I'm still not sure I understand what I was like. I, did I? I don't know. Um, Speaking of head fucks, yes, it's what? No, um, <laughs> and it's not like you know. Like, this is like I can tell that this is this is a, this is a head fuck because this happened. You know, in mm. in, um, in 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 perfume. Okay, it's a head fuck because did this hallucination happen or did this hallucination happen? Scream and scream again. I'm just—it's just a thing happening after the, after the other, and mm. and there's the acid, and there's <laughs> and there's Vincent Price, and there's the car chase. Oh my god! It's like, briefly it's like Peter Cushing. It's like I'm writing. It's like I'm writing a, a horror story, and I'm seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really, very much so. Um, oh, the the other thing because I I mentioned earlier Terry Pratchett and I said I was going to come back to him. Mm. So um, one of the I think the only other thing that Francesco Brulli directed that I've seen um, is there's a short one of his short films which is on uh, I think the American Blu-ray of this movie, which is called The Night Errant, and it appears to have been I don't know paid for by like the Parma Tourist Board or something. Um, okay. And so basically it's the story of uh, the Grim Reaper, Death, who uh, is fed up and not enjoying his job. So it's very Pratchett-esque. Uh, mm-hmm. So on a on a job one night to uh, end the life of an elderly gentleman, who I think is played by Brilli himself, um, accidentally leaves his scythe behind, which means that no one can die. Uh, which is mm. which is the plot of uh, Grim Reaper, I think, which is one of Pratchett's many death themed yes. books. Um, and but it and it's a it's a very strange little twenty minute movie, but it's it's also fascinating because all of the speaking parts are done with puppets, even though there are real people in in the film like the kind of incidental characters are are human but um so it's kind of narrated by um dante who is a puppet and then there's also a sequence and and death is kind of a 
puppet type, you know, someone wearing a costume with a sort of um, animatronic face and hands and things. And then there's a sequence where there are all these news reports of the fact that no one's dying, and the news readers are all puppets as well. So it's it's quite <laughs> it's quite, it's quite surreal. It's got a it's got an odd sense of humour, which is you know kind of apart from the plot where the, I think the kind of Pratchett connection comes in um, because there is a moment where Death is sort of sitting in his house being miserable because he d- doesn't like his job I can relate um, yeah. and he gets up and he kind of strokes his hand down a, a photograph on the bedside table which is of his skeletal wife and child <laughs> so it's all it's all rather bizarre so I can kind of see why so Death really maybe yeah so, so I can kind of see why Barilli didn't necessarily get on with studio <laughs> people. They're too kind. Um, they're too nice. Sorry, they're too nice. <laughs> yeah. Furniture is nice. Um, so, you know, it's um, an, an enigmatic figure, but he certainly gave us one of our more memorable uh, subjects. Anyway, I wanted to mention that so that I didn't leave the Terry Pratchett question open. And I wonder if he was like a Pratchett fan. I have no idea. Is he, like still, was, is, he still, is he still alive? I think he's still around, yeah. Right, we'll track him down. Yeah. It's like, what, what you know, had Romola Guerrieri seen Doctor Who? It's like one of those questions that mm. you know, we will never know the answer to. That's all right. You know that uh, I've I've met someone who I know is is meant to be working with Argento on something. So I'll use yes. that as a, I'll use that as a starting point. And we'll 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 track in later episodes. Uh, we'll we'll track down Jallo directors and and, inter- and interview them as soon as we find an interpreter. Yes, and ask them about English pop culture. <laughs> You've seen Doctor Who. Will be incredible. What's your favourite Terry Pratchett movie? You know <laughs> See. Uh, oh. Well, in the spirit of what the fuck is happening, um, that's probably a good place that's to close. place to end it. Yes, marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for listening next time Massimo Dallamano has got the cops on the case as we ask what have they done to your daughters I hope you'll join us then Mario Barber's Gidget Goes Hawaiian um, oh, okay. which... <laughs> not really um <laughs> Sorry, you did. Did I, did I, I actually really, get you that? I wasn't really thinking. It was just frowning. Him. I should have what, said what, Lucio not, Fulci. Not, not wanting, not wanting to go. Really? Um, yeah. yes, <laughs> if, I, if I keep quiet, I'll be, I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Barber's <laughs> yes. best. Yeah, um, yeah and then. <laughs>